Thank you. Someone's calling me on the phone and it's like, oh, okay. All right, all right, all right. Let's just, let's just. <laughs> oh, I just spent like five minutes. How long was I going? Six minutes. I just spent six minutes talking without my microphone on. <laughs> No better way to humble somebody than for them to be, like, talking into a camera. <laughs> Such a rookie mistake, man. <laughs> oh, it's live, folks. Oh, it's live. It's making me cry. Uh, <laughs> so I got people, like, calling me and texting me, like, turn your volume on. Nothing's going on. And it's like <laughs> And I'm like, shut up. Stop messing with me. I'm on a roll. Hey folks, uh, <laughs> there's there's no <laughs> there's no way to, there's no way to respond. We'll just do it. Start fresh. October 20, 2023. My name is Jaron Jackson. I love America. For me, it's always about the gospel of Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection. Amen. I want to talk about Proverbs chapter 20, verse 8. <laughs> A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil in his eyes. I want to tie the Bible, Christ's triumph on the cross with taxes so that the church understands her duty in the world is not just theological, but that it is practical, it is applicable, it is consequential to everything. That's kind of like the summary of the uh, of the first six minutes. And if I can, if I, if I can, hey, listen, you guys are such a blessing. You afford me the opportunity to do what I do without getting fired. And one way that you can help support that is at patriotswitch.com slash Jaren. Patriotswitch.com slash Jaren. I had a big pitch about it where I was like, you know, you can take your money out of the Godless Commies and give it to this American manufacturing company that makes great products delivered right to your door at price competitive pricing with no hazardous industrial chemicals in it. Uh, and I was even telling people about a Zoom call today now go to war.com. Now go to war.com, where that Zoom call is going to be happening tonight at 7 p.m. Central. I was telling everybody about that. That's where I clicked it, and then my microphone wasn't on. So, guys, you know, if if you people's greatest fear, many people's greatest fear is public speaking. Could you imagine speaking to a camera that's online where hundreds of people are going to watch, maybe thousands, Lord willing. Thousands of people watch this video. <laughs> I kind of see the first six minutes is, is a dude that doesn't even have a microphone on. <laughs> Do you understand how frustrating that is? Do you understand how like... <laughs> because now I can't get over the fact that in my mind, I'm, I'm seeing Jared. Because I can see me right here. Like I can see me on that camera. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the people that are like watching the screen where Jaren's going like all expressive and everything. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that, that it, it de it's a deflator is what I'm telling you. Like you get amped up, you pray right before the show, you start doing stuff and all of a sudden you get it going and then you realize that you ain't even talking and it's like, oh, man. <laughs> Oh, you just gotta laugh. All right, hey, uh, what I was, what I, what I want to do is I want to use taxes. I want to use taxes as the hook 
Lord willing, to get Christians to recognize their duty in a way that I think it's been separated from them. I believe the modern American Christian has this notion of separation of church and state. Where the church isn't supposed to influence anything. It's just supposed to go over there and sit on the pew on Sunday morning. And that bad effect has trained and conditioned Americans to not do what it is that their duty is to Christ first and foremost. But also to their constitution whereby we are a republic. You have all political power. And if you don't use it, then you're losing it and your duty is not being done. And I want to tie that today directly to taxes. I'm about to play a video, and this is where I figured it out. I'm about to play a video that um, I got a couple minutes before the live stream, which has just been a... I had an entire show lined up. Someone in the audience was like, hey, watch this. And I started watching it, and I was like, you know, that's actually a lot better than what I was going to talk about. So I, I dumped the entire show, lost all show prep, completely audible to this. So that's just how things go. Because I, I, I figure people will like what it is that I'm talking about today because it's more applicable and it takes, it, it, it allows people to see their duty to Christ in a very specific way that actually hits them in the pocketbook. Like that's what I'm going to connect today. And I'm not going to connect it so that you can, I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. You need to believe the, the gospel so that you don't go to hell because you're a sinner and you need to not go to hell. That's what I care about. I also know that many Christians believe a form of the gospel and they believe Jesus doesn't have actually any dominion over the earth. And I hate that. Like, I, I do not like that idea because whenever you think about that, that is telling Jesus who's on the throne, your wisdom isn't actually effective or for people down here. That really reduces our life to nothing more than waiting to punch our ticket to go to heaven which I want to go to heaven. I'm looking forward to seeing my dad and other people that I love and being with Jesus. But you also have to recognize that Christ is with me right now. Where two or more are gathered in his name, there, there I will be also. Um, Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. It's not I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So Christ is, I'm already walking with him. I'm already with him. And, and so I, what I want to do is I want to try to put some flesh on the bones of faith. Which the Bible says that, you know, Christ's people walk by faith and not by sight. What I want to do is I want to show this video. What's her name? Whitney Harrell. Whitney Harrell uh, was a, no, excuse me, Marcella Brooks was a juror in the case where she had a press conference of the National Press Club in 2000 and told everyone why the jury found Whitney, or I'm sorry, Whitey Harrell, not Whitney, Whitey Harrell not guilty. So Whitey Harrell was a guy that was prosecuted by the IRS and the U.S. government, and he was found not guilty, and the juror, one of the jurors, say that five times, Wes, one of the jurors, Marcella Brooks, explains why. This is the video. I'm going to show the video. It's sped up at one and a half times, so it goes faster, but I, I still think you'll be able to, to hear it. We're going to play this video, and then I'm going to make the connection from tax and obedience, obedience to tax law, to using the fundamental law, the prescription of it is written, to get you freedom and from oppression here on earth. And then I'm going to spike the football at the very end, saying that that is what the church is supposed to be doing. And that's Christ's wisdom, which is so awesome. And that's the duty that the church has not been doing. That's what we're going to do today by God's grace. Here we go. This is the uh, this is Marcella Brooks 
at the National Press Club in 2000 talking about a tax case. Go ahead. I'm going to yield much of my time to Marcy Brooks. She can step forward and present what the debate was in that jury room, what they saw, what she saw and others saw from the jury's perspective. Um, and thus, uh, I'm going to yield uh, to give her more time to provide something that I feel to believe that you'll find more interesting. Okay? And I thank you. But he doesn't really get off that easy. There's several questions he needs to answer, and he's going to answer them. He just hates being up here. It's a delight for me to be here. I, uh, first, I want to say and clarify that I am not the juror. Okay, there were 12 of us, um, and 12 fine citizens who were very concerned about doing what was right. Um, when we first entered the courtroom, it seemed very easy. You know, well, okay, did he file or didn't he file? That's not too difficult to decide. You know, but it didn't take us long to realize that it wasn't going to be so simple. Um, first of all, Agent Craner, who was the man who had been investigating Mr. Harrell for three years, came to the witness stand with no paperwork, no files, empty-handed. They asked him questions, and I assume that he's a fairly intelligent man, having to have had the job that he's had all these years, and he just couldn't seem to remember anything. And, well, y'all, I, I think Mr. Harrell asked me some questions, but I don't think I wrote them down. And, well, I'm not real sure about that. Well, um, yeah, that could be. And we're going... How long have you been investigating this case, you know? And uh, so and he, he spoke real softly and just kind of mumbled. And, you know, I, I guess I assumed that an investigator would be more well-spoken. And so I, that immediately aroused in me some suspicion. Something isn't right here. And he made, well then, okay, he, he said, I don't remember writing down any questions for Mr. Harrell. Well, then they brought on a video of the interview with Mr. Harrell. Keep that in mind, okay? And <laughs> there he is, writing away. And every question that Mr. Harrell would ask, he would write away. And then he would say, I'll get that answer for you. I'll get that answer for you. And they said, did you ever get back to Mr. Harrell? Well, no, sir. You know, and again, we're going, why? What? This is so strange. It shouldn't be this difficult, right? It is the law, right? So it shouldn't be this difficult. Well, then Mr. Harrell was able to testify. And oh, and at one point, when all this is going on, and they had, I don't know how many witnesses, to prove that Mr. Harrell lived in Illinois and that he was married. <laughs> and we're going, that's real interesting. You know, you didn't have to really convince us this hard. Uh, but... After a while, I finally raised my hand because I had been told that the judge would receive questions and I raised my hand and he's going, what? <laughs> he says, I don't have time. And then he backed off because I just looked at him. I said, pardon? You know? And he said, I'm sorry, um, what was your question? And I said, I think I just need to be clarified. What is Mr. Harrell being tried for? <laughs> and he read again, you know, the charge of willfully not filing income tax in Illinois. I said, okay, thank you. So Mr. Harrell got up and had a, a very calm and brilliant uh, testimony. We were all impressed. and. Um, Finally, he looked at the prosecuting attorney and he said, I'll ask you the same thing I've been asking all along. I don't mind paying my taxes if it is the law. Just show me the law. Yeah. And so we sat there. We're like, all right, this is it. Go. They didn't even address the question. Not only did they say, you know there's a law, or they went on. And we're going, what? This was your moment, guys, you know, the spotlight was on you. And they didn't even address his question. So again, red lights are going off. The judge finally told us, he said, because the defense kept talking about, you know, where is this law? And, and the judge finally looked at us and he said, I will instruct the jury according to the law. <laughs> and we went, oh, okay, he's going to give it to us, you know, maybe in a nice little format, whatever. So needless to say, as soon as we got into deliberation, what did we look for? The law. And we're going through papers and going through papers and we're going, okay, so where is the law? 
And finally, there was this one piece of paper, and it said, if you are filing jointly and if you are married and filing jointly and under the age of 65, you are required to pay Illinois taxes if you make this much money. And somebody said, there it is, there's the law. And I said, I think that was the tax code, wasn't it? Isn't that what they said was the tax code? Well, isn't that the law? And I said, no, didn't they talk about that? Well, yeah, we all came to agreement. No, that, that wasn't the law. That was the tax code. But they said, but if the judge said it, it must be the law. And we had one dear gentleman that was from Romania, Romania. And he, uh, he's an American citizen now, but he said, you know, in my old country, we couldn't challenge the law. But in this country, we can. <laughs> and so I said, okay, let's look at it this way. If it's the law, they shouldn't have any trouble telling us what the number is, right? And they said, you're right, you know, if it's the law, they can give us the number of the law. So that's when we wrote our first request. We wrote out, I wrote out the request and I said, would you please give us the number of the law that has this wording? And then I took the wording right off of the paper that he had given us. We waited a few minutes, you know, and uh, by the way, the bailiff was fairly new and he was like going bonkers. He's going, you want to give a request to the judge? Uh, well, I don't know. I've never seen that before. You know? And so um, anyway, in a little bit, we got back our answer and we looked at it and it said, you have been given everything you need. Well, <clears throat> needless to say, we weren't pleased. We're going, if it's that easy, why didn't he just write it down? Now remember that we'd gone through this whole trial from Wednesday afternoon till Friday morning. The Attorney General's office had all that time just to tell us what the law is. And we heard nothing. We asked the judge, just tell us the number. You know, and one of the jurors said, well, you know how the law is. It's real complicated. Maybe he thought if he gave us a copy of it, we couldn't understand it. And I said, we didn't ask for a copy of the law. All we asked for was the number. And we were refused. So we went on to the issue of voluntary compliance. And this is when things got heavy because we're starting to look at each other and people are going, you mean we don't have to pay taxes? <laughs> <laughs> and so then we got into, well, is it a moral issue? And, you know, I mean, government has to have money to do what it's doing and blah, blah, blah. And I know you'll have answers for that, but realize we were talking as dummies. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, we're going, boy, this could get out. You know? <laughs> it's a pretty serious case. All of a sudden, this little case that we had all just shown up for to do our civic duty had become an awesome case with tremendous possibilities, you know. And so that's when the heated element kind of came in because people started getting emotional about taxes. And finally, I said, now, wait a minute. This is not a moral judgment that we're making. We're judging Mr. Harrell on the law. Let's get back to what we're talking about. We're judging him according to the law. Have you seen the law yet? No. So that's when we sent our second request. And we went to, and we, we wrote, I wrote out to the judge, I said, would you please, because when we were talking about voluntary compliance, let me back up a little bit, when we were talking about voluntary compliance, finally, one of us, I don't know who, who exactly said, well, that was in that evidence that the defense gave, you know, that Mr. Harrell refused to bring, the defense did bring their own copy, and it was accepted as evidence. Right, you know, so we start flipping through papers. There's no evidence. Where did it go? And we're looking all over the table. Well, aren't we supposed to get all the evidence? And so we sent a second request. You know, please give us the papers that were submitted as exhibit number whatever for the defense. And we waited. And we got a note back. And it said, you have requested, blah, blah, blah. You're being denied. <laughs> At that point, the other three jurors swung. They said, something is really wrong here. And so... Some of them said, well, I just don't know. I mean, he's going to be getting away with it. And I said, wait a minute, if it's not the law, he's not getting away with anything but standing for his rights. And they said, 
well, you're right, you know. But, you know, we're so deeply ingrained in this, you know, and please be patient when you talk with other people. This is something that we've been taught all of our lives is a citizen, is, you know, it's part of our being. And so we had to crash through that and go, but what are we really talking about? We're talking about the law. And I read the instruction from the judge, which I don't have his exact wording, but basically it was, if he's not guilty, then he's not guilty. And that's when we all voted and we signed the papers. <laughs> Finally, I will never forget, for one thing, the white face of the judge. <laughs> but the other that I will never forget are the mixed feelings of humility and pride. As the clerk read, sorry, as the clerk read, we the jury find the defendant, Galen Harrell, not guilty. And our eyes were all on Mr. Harrell because we had grown to appreciate this man's dedication. I mean, this obviously wasn't just somebody that didn't want to pay their taxes. He believed in this and was willing to put out everything for his belief. So with each count, there were four counts, every time they said, not guilty, his emotional stance, the first time he just convulsed, you know, and it was just, you could, you could tell that he had been under such a strain. And then when they said, not guilty, he just, you know, and then with each one after that, people in the courtroom started crying. And I sat there and I thought, maybe the system doesn't work all the time. But this time, for that man, it worked. <laughs> and the conclusion is, no law, not guilty. Thank you. Amen. Now, I want to, if I can, I want to tie exactly what she just said. No law, not guilty. And I want to tie it to the Bible. And this is where people might have an issue. But you shouldn't. In Matthew 4, when the devil came to Jesus, and he said to Jesus three different temptations, the word for devil is slanderer. Someone who is accusing. Someone who is alleging something that's not true. That's how the devil is known. That's, how, that's his essence. His et essence is accusing. In the garden, when the devil came to the woman, and the devil said, Hath God said that you can't eat of all the fruit, or you can't eat of all the trees? He's twisting God's word to add to it. He's impugning God's motives. And the answer that Eve did not give, that Adam did not interpose with, is it is written. When Jesus says it is written, that is the law. He's quoting the law. And people will go away from the law because the law is the law. And this is what Americans have been taught to doubt. They've been taught to doubt what God says. And even the characterization here that sometimes the system doesn't always work. Hold on, stop. There is no system. There is the law and there is not the law. Period. When you give your thoughts to the fact that a system exists, you are saying the system is the law, but the system is not the law. The law is the law. The words on the Constitution are the law of the land. And when you recognize that you are grant when you recognize that the law defends your rights, you have the power to stand on the law. But Americans have never been taught this.
And I just want to speak about taxes. If you go to my Telegram channel and just search taxes and taxes too, there's over like six hours of content for free, literally laying out the tax law in the nation. Now, what I will do, Lord willing, um, you know, moving forward is there's a way to um, present this material without just saying, here's what to write. Write this right here and you'll be fine. Although uh, the, the lady that wrote me this, um, she's going to get a present. Um, the people need to know what the law is. They, they need to know what the truth is. They need to know when the law says something that that's the law. One of the ways that the accuser, the slanderer, the devil, one of the ways that shrewd attorneys and, and tyrannical officials warp things is by using the same word with different meaning. The word law in America means the Constitution. It means the Constitution and all the statutes that are in pursuance to it. If a statute does not live up to the Constitution, that statute ain't law. The way that you determine if a statute measures up with the Constitution is to start with the Constitution and not the statute. So when you look at normal, let me let me uh, bring this up. Someone sent me this. I'm, I'm on the fly right now. I'm on the fly. Where is someone sent me this in the comments? I think. Yeah. Okay. So let's 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 do let's do this. Let me bring up my screen. Right? Someone sent me this. 12 U.S. Code Section 531, Exemption from Taxation. Right? The text contains those laws in effect on October 19, 2023. So this is from yesterday. And this says, Federal Reserve Banks, including capital stock surpluses therein, income derived therefrom, shall be exempt from federal, state, and local taxation except taxes on real estate. Now, the, the one who sent me this, I'm, I'm assuming the person who sent me this, is uh, is wanting to say, you know, hey, are we exempt from taxes? But that's the wrong way to look at it. It's not that you are exempt from taxes. It's the fact that people granted government power to tax. You have to understand that. When you are thinking about taxes and you say, well, I have to pay my taxes. Where is that written? What is the authority that give that grants the government the power to do that? This is why it's important for you get to, to get back to the law. When Christians say, well, uh, let's just agree to disagree. Well, hold on. Where does the Bible say that you can agree to disagree? Where is that? Is that a thought that the, that the Christians should be using? I'm not picking on the gentleman that, you know, I had this conversation with recently online, but he says, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Do you know that that's a Jesuit phrase designed to undermine truth? You undermine truth by elevating the notion that, well, you can have your belief and I can have my belief and that's just fine. Well, what did we just do? We've just communicated postmodernism. We've just embraced the fact that uncertainty is fine. We're fine with uncertainty. And if you, if, you, if you then take that uncertainty and you apply it to the Bible and you say, well, I just don't know. I, I guess we just don't know. Well, when the Bible tells you it's not for you to know, that's not uncertainty. That's certainty that you're not supposed to know. 
That's different, categorically different, than you not understanding or having a disagreement about an interpretation. So when the law says, when the Constitution says, here's where government is granted power, that's certain. That's the law. That's what the law is. What you need to understand is here in, um, let me just do, uh, I'll do a search engine. Let's go here. We'll just do um, lists of non-positive law. Boom. List of non-positive law. And this is uh, the Yale Journal and Regulation. Non-positive law titles are what? 2, 6, 7, 8, 12. Ooh, 12. What was that law we just saw? 12 USC 531. So non-positive law titles are what? 12. So let me open this back up. Let's go to this. We'll just use Google because they're the godless commies. Let's say, what is Title 12? Title 12, U.S. Code, what does it do? Oh, it's Comptroller of the Currency, National Banks, Federal Reserve System, Taxation, Crimes and Offenses. It's the Banking Code. 12 U.S. Co 12 US Code is for banks and banking. Look at that. Banks and banking. 12 U.S. Code, Section 531, is non-positive law. Non-positive law is, or the Title 12 is banks and banking. So then let's go and we say, what's this? What is non-positive law? Non-positive law title is the code is prima facie evidence of the law it contains. It Whoa, it can be rebutted by showing that a wording in an underlying statute is different. What did the lady say? What did the juror say about the guy that was being tried by the government? He was demanding the government show him the law. What did the juror say that the, uh, the, the former, what was he, a Serbian guy? The former Serbian guy says, in my home country, we cannot try the law. But in this law, we can. Amen. In this law, or excuse me, in this nation, by our constitution, you can challenge the law. Which means when someone tells you something, you can say, where is that written, bro? Show me where that's written. Prove to me that's written. And when someone says, well, you got to pay your taxes. Well, watch this. Let's go back to our lists of non-positive law. Non-positive law. Titles 2, 6, 7, 8, 12, 15, 16, 19, 21, 22, 24, 25, 26. Ooh, what is title 26? Let's just go again to our Google. Google. What is title 26? Title 26, oh, it looks like it's the Internal Revenue Code. Oh, wow, look at that, Title 26, Internal Revenue Code. So that means that Title 26 is non-positive law title. What's a non-positive law title? It's prima facie evidence that the statute contains. It can be rebutted, showing that the wording of an underlying statute is different. Where do I get this from? Well, let's just go to positive law codification. What is this? Oh, this is Office of Law Revision United States Code, positive law codification, positive law, non-positive law, right? Now, what is this? 
A non-positive law title is code of prima facie evidence of the statute it contains. It can be rebutted by showing that the wording of an underlying statute is different. A positive law title constitutes legal evidence of the law. It is considered more authoritative in federal and state courts. Folks, when you do not know what is written, you do not know the law. I titled this Christ's Triumph and Taxes. In the Bible, when Jesus took the cross, the Bible says that's where he triumphed and gloried over his enemies. This is Colossians chapter 2. I didn't look it up. Let me find it really fast. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, I believe. Let me get my handy dandy. If I do this, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians, well, that's Colossians. So this, that's Colossians 3, Colossians 2, uh, verse 14. Let's do... Uh, uh, and you, being dead in your sins, of, from the uncircumcision of your flesh, he hath quickened, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, so that's the law, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, uh, that was against us. So whenever you sin, that's the handwriting. You broke the law, you broke the ordinance, therefore God's going to write the sin against you. He's going to make the tally mark, right? So blotting it out, Christ wiped it away. Uh, which was contrary to us. So the law was standing against us. It was against us because we sinned and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, that was the sin that was by the law contrary to us. Verse 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he, Christ, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Jesus triumphed over the powers and principalities by uh, taking the cross and having our sin nailed to him. When you understand that Christ's wisdom was so that he would take the cross and triumph over all the powers and principalities, which were the sin and the ordinances against us, so when the devil comes to Jesus and he's the slanderer, he's the accuser, and he's telling him, you are doing wrong, Jesus said, it is written. And then when Jesus took the cross, that wisdom, that glory, is not a way that the world would understand. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, don't let me lose you here. This is, this is where people will, in the political stuff, the government stuff, be like, okay, Jaron, tell me what's up. Tell me what's up. Tell me what the solution is. And the answer is, you need to slow down, read your Bibles, and look to Jesus. Because the founder's wisdom comes from the Bible. They believe the Bible. And your government is bowing in deference to the Bible when you declare the law. If you do not declare the law that the Constitution says, then you are giving yourself away to these types of schemes where you have the Title 12 banking and uh, you know banks and banking. Whenever whenever Title 12 banks and banking says that these dudes don't have to pay taxes, you now get to say, well, is that really law? Because that's Title 12, and Title 12 is non-positive law. It's right there, and non-positive law is what. Non-positive law is prima facie evidence of the statute. It can be rebutted, which means you can go to the underlying statute that's positive law and tell them that they're wrong. How do I know that? Well, this is the government telling you that. This is a .gov website. Look at that. uscode.house.gov. I mean, that's a government website literally telling you you can rebut these guys. So then you think about and you go to taxes. 
why do you pay taxes? You pay taxes because you believe you have to pay taxes. Let me just cut to the quick. Our founders, because they believed in the Bible, because they believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, they gave us a constitution and they granted government powers to tax. When the government was granted powers to tax, it was granted article it was granted the ability to uh, tax imports. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, people started calling imports income. The income tax comes from the positive law statute about tariffs on imports. It's not about the money that you make to feed your family, to provide for your living. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing. And it can't because if the government if the people granted the government the power to tax what the people make, why would they do that? Why would a king use his own power against himself? That doesn't make sense. In the Bible, when Jesus is casting out demons and he says, if I cast this demon out by the Spirit of God, then you know that the kingdom has come upon you. Christ's kingdom was here on earth with Christ when he physically walked the earth. And him casting out demons was the evidence that Satan's kingdom was crumbling. That Satan's kingdom was defeated. And when Jesus took the cross and he physically rose from the grave, he declared his victory. He looked to his church and said, go make them obey. And the church over 2,000 years has been reading the Bible and God by his grace has been bestowing wisdom and blessing faithful believers following Jesus in all walks of life, not just on Sunday morning sitting on the pew, but in all walks of life. And the founders of America leaving uh, Great Britain, leaving Europe because they wanted to come here and follow their faith and one of what was one of the principles of their of their faith system, the Puritans had a, a principle that was, it is written. Show me in the Bible. The reformers called this sola scriptura. Jesus just calls it, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. We as Christians who follow Jesus look to the Bible. When you look to the Bible, you recognize that a government that's oppressing you is not God. A government that's oppressing you is not a, a government you submit to. You submit to the governing authorities because the governing authorities are magistrates for righteousness. If a governing authority is not about righteousness as defined by what the Bible says, then you're not to submit to it. This is Acts chapter 5. You do what you want, but as for me, we will obey the Lord. This goes all the way back to Joshua. Joshua says, Choose for yourself who you will serve this day. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Lord is going to raise nations and governments and all sorts of stuff. And they can be full of despots. They can be full of tyrants. They can be full of giants and dragons. And they can be full of Canaanites and Philistines and all sorts of stuff. But when they raise themselves up against the wisdom of Christ, our duty as believers is to stand on what the Bible says, regardless of the probabilities or what you think the outcomes are. And this is the heart of the tax enforcement in America. People think they have to, so they do. It's a faith issue. 
When you know what the law is and you stand on the law, I played for you the video from a juror from a case before 2000 where the guy was not guilty because he stood on what the truth was and he demanded the government tell him what the law is. I will do what you tell me to do. Show me where the law allows you to do that. Show me where the power is granted to you. And you notice that simple question, show me the law, show me the law. And they were like, well, it's right here in the tax code. Well, but the tax code, right? What did we see? The tax code ain't the law, right? Title 26, Title 26 is non-positive law. When we go to Title 26, that's the Internal Revenue Code. The Internal Revenue Code is non-positive law. When you go to that, you can say, hey, you guys uh, got an underlying statute that's different. Do you see how this makes sense? And all of this comes from a perspective that demands strict observance to what is written. And Christians have been trained to not have that discipline. Christians in America have been trained to not let the Bible tell them what to think. To not challenge their presuppositions, their bias, their belief, their feelings. We like what we like and then we take what we like and we read the Bible and we find where the Bible can fit what we believe. And we shove it in the Bible and we say, there it is. There it is in the Bible. That allows me to believe what I want to believe so we can agree to disagree. And that's where the Christian's lack of diligence and devotion to Jesus has gotten us away from demanding truth, from demanding certainty, from demanding what the law says. And this is a faith issue. This is a courage issue. Because if you don't have the courage to look at the dragons and the giants and the Philistines and the tax code or the government in the face and say, thus saith the Lord, then you're a coward. And right now, the church has a duty to be the ones who are standing on the law and looking at the dragons and the giants and the government officials and the tyrants and saying, thus says the Constitution. Thus says the law of the land. Thus says what the truth is. Or, or to the counter of that saying, I demand you show me your authority. I demand you tell me where I'm wrong. I demand you tell me where you get the power to do that. And whenever they come back with the quick answer, well, it's right here in the statute. You need to be able to understand that this statute right here, you need to be able to understand that there are non-positive law titles. Let me jihad that a little bit. There's non-positive law titles right there. These non-positive law titles are not law. They have never been passed by the Congress. So whenever someone quotes for you Title II, Title VI, Title VII, Title VIII, Title XII, Title XV, Title XVI, there's your environmental law right there. All your environmental law is right there, Title XVI. You want to know why the government just railroads businesses capping uh, CO2 emissions or saying that you can't kill the, the gay equestrian frogs from the wombat islands or whatever? It's because they have arbitrarily put statutes into non-positive law and then they quote it at people and people don't know that non-positive law ain't the law. People don't know that. 
And that's because people don't stand on what the law is. The connection I'm trying to make is that Jesus wants the gospel to spread through his church. And his church has to be, has to be the people who because they believe in him more than they believe in the giants and the dragons and the trolls, because the church believes in Christ and not the the government, the church has to be the one looking at the government, telling the government what the truth is. And they have to have the courage to do that. They have to have the discipline to know what the Bible says. They have to have the discipline to know what the law says. Because the words that are written down will protect you. The words written down will bless you. The words written down, whenever you stand on them and believe on them, they will set you free. John chapter 8. We'll go to this real fast. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Where's my handy dandy? Here we go. John chapter 8, verse 31, 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 17, verse 17. John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus is in the garden, and this is what he says. Sanctify, right? Oh, come on now. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus wants us to be sanctified by the Bible. We are made strong. We are made holy. We are set apart for for God by what the Bible says. So when you read the Bible and you don't take anything else, the Bible tells you what to think. That is now the, the center. That's the context. Christ is the context. And for people thinking about prophecy, because there's a lot of people that look what they, there's a lot of people who look at biblical prophecy and they say biblical prophecy is in the future for us. And that's why people look to modern day Israel. But whenever you look at what the Bible says about prophecy, go to my handy dandy, Revelation 19, verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The prophecies are going to be testifying about Jesus. Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The prophecies are about Jesus. When you read a prophecy and you think that prophecy is about Israel, bend that idea, bend that interpretive tool to Jesus. And say, Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. How does that, how does the gospel impact my interpretation of this prophecy? Because if my interpretation of this prophecy does not subject to Jesus, then I'm not taking prophecy and making it testify of Christ. I'm taking prophecy and saying, I'm going to take the headlines of the day and wedge them in to that interpretation. This is the discipline, this is the devotion, and this is the certainty that people will hate. People hate what I'm saying because it means that if they disagree, it means that there's a there, there's truth that is colliding with them. Now, I'll just cut myself. I held the position that many people do. The Bible hurt me. 
The Bible told me I'm wrong. The Bible corrected my thinking. It took a, a long time and it was very painful. It is not good to admit that you're wrong. And when people say, Jaron, you're you know stubborn or you think you know everything, I don't know everything. I'm sitting here telling you what the Bible says is God's law. What the Bible says is God's word. It points to Jesus for salvation from sin. At the same time, Jesus says, go teach the nations to obey me. Go teach the nations to obey Christ. How do you teach the nations to obey Christ whenever the laws of our land are, are, are hoaxes? They're not real. They're fake. It's deception. And this deception is allowing people to say, oh, look at this, exemption from taxes. Well, but that's my, what it says, but this is 12 U.S.C. 531. That's a freaking non-positive law. The non-positive law ain't even law. How do we know that? Because we know what the law is and we have the discipline to demand what the truth is. And that's the connection I'm trying to make is that if you look at our taxation system, the solution there is looking to what's written and demanding strict observance to what's written be true because it is. And when people lie, you need to have the courage to say, I demand you show me what this law is. Because the Constitution says this. You're doing this. You have to understand the, the diligence and devotion to know what's written, plus the courage to demand what is uh, you know, scary and big and strong to do what's right. That has to be the church. That has to be the church. The church is going to have the spiritual discipline to pursue truth according to what the scriptures say. In a, in a similar essence, the, the discipline to demand what the law, what the constitution says, is the same kind of spiritual discipline. It's, it's, it's not as important because the spiritual discipline to know what the Bible says is what, what God says. The spiritual discipline, or I should say the discipline to know what the constitution says, is not what the Bible says about salvation, but it does replicate, it does mirror in its image the same discipline to know what the tax law is or the property law is or the jurisdiction of a court is. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's presented in a different way, but that, that's the thing that's been unhitched. Because the church has been unhitched from the state, this unhitching prevents Christians who are supposed to be about the Bible. And if the Bible tells them something, then the Bible's true and they're a liar. Romans 3, 4. Let God be true and every man a liar. So if the Bible tells you something and it disagrees with you, then you're wrong and you need to listen to the Bible. This means that you need to be laid bare whenever you bring your bias, your assumptions, your philosophies, what your favorite pastor teaches, what you've believed all your life. You need to bring it all to the table and say, I'm willing to kill all of these things for you, King Jesus. Every single thing that I have that I'm bringing to the scripture, everything can be killed for you, my king. Show me what's right. You bring that, but now you're, you're recognizing that your belief that prophecy is in the future is not you. It is not Christ. It's a belief. It's an idea. That idea must be made captive to Christ. And my belief that prophecies have been fulfilled has to be made captive to Christ. And I have to recognize that my belief is not me. 
I am me made in the image of God. My belief is a, a, a composite. It's a construction of experience, what I've heard from other people, what I prefer is a big part of that. Those are what your beliefs are. They're just packages of ideas in your brain. And you need to take those and lay them on the table and say, does the Bible smash this? Does the Bible kill this? Well, that discipline to pursue God and be sanctified by the word is the same discipline that Christians need to be doing to government. Anything that they think about government, they need to take that idea, put it on the table, and use the Constitution to smash it. And if the Constitution doesn't smash it, okay, yeah, it's law. You can, you can go be the law now. Go free and go about your day. But we don't think like that. That's been unhitched. If there's a hitch, that's been unhitched. And so that disconnection, the disconnection from the discipline of it is written has been unhitched and the, the, the church has been pushed to the side and now this has been running amok. The government's running amok. The world's running amok. The border's running amok. The, the, the debt, the Medicare, the Social Security, it's all running amok. Why? Because it's unhitched from the wisdom of Christ. It's unhitched from the duty of the church from the church understanding that its duty is to make all the nations obey the king. And whenever you look at the tax code and people say, well, we, we got to do it because we're going to go to jail. Jaron, you're going to go to jail. You're arguing stuff that's going to get you in jail. Well, you have at least this one evidence. Uh, you have this video of a juror who was on a case where the guy walked scot-free and he was not guilty of everything. And what did he do? He demanded the government show him the law. Now, in the law, what he was doing is he's standing on his right to liberty. He's standing on his liberty, saying, I have freedom. Here's what the Constitution says. I have the right to life, liberty, property. Cannot be trespassed without due process, right? Life, liberty, life, life, liberty, property will not be deprived without due process of law. Due process of law is jurisdiction. Tell me, tell, tell me where you get the power to tell me what to do. Show me. Show me where your power is. Well, it's, it's this statute. Okay, is that statute non-positive law? Yeah, okay. Well, then what statute is that based off of? What positive law generated that? Well, I don't know. you better show me. You better show me where that positive law is. Or how about you go do your research, <coughs> Tariff Act of 1913. How about you go do your research and say, here's your positive law, and I'm going to rebut your stupid non-positive law and get out of my face. Because the positive law says it's about it's it's about uh, articles of foreign import. Get out of here. Nothing. There's nothing about me telling you what my investments are. There's nothing about me telling you I'm going to file with my wife. What? Show me that. In the, show me that in the import. Show me that in the 1913 tariff act. Show me that. Show me it. I demand you show me it. Well, it's not in there. It's in the tax code. Amen. But see, it's it's a discipline to say. We're going to only let the Bible tell us what to say. We're only going to let what God says stand as true. And in a like fashion, much more diminished, in a like fashion, we are going to demand the government, demand the government stand on the law, or excuse me, demand the government abide by the law. And we're going to stand on it. We're not going to move and unhitch ourselves and move down the line for statutes. We're not going to move down the line for case law. We're not going to move down the line for court procedure or process. We're going to stand on the law and say, this is where I'm at. This is what the Constitution says. Show me where I'm wrong. The other thing that I'll say, and I'll, I'll end with this, 
is that the jury has the power to declare both the law and fact, or excuse me, to, to decide both the law and, and, and the verdict, the law and fact. The, the, this means that in the common law, your jury can look at the law that they're using against you. So in this case, if I'm, you know, let's just say that I'm trespassing this law right here. I'm trespassing that law for whatever reason. I, I you know, oh, I can't, can't say. Let's say I'm, I'm trespassing this law right here. I'm trespassing 12 USC 531, right? Like I'm, I've breached that somehow. Somehow, and now I'm going to go to jail because I, I trespassed this. Just, just whatever. The jury can look at that law and say, for this case, for this person in these conditions, that law is stupid. Get that junk out of here. That's called jury nullification. They can just literally go, get out of here. And they kill the law. That way it doesn't matter. You could be guilty of the statute, but if the jury thinks the statute's stupid, the statute is null and void, has no power. They can just get out of here. It's called jury nullification. Because in the common law, the jury is people. And people are sworn, so now they've got power. And because all political power is inherent in the people, you get jurors sworn to their duty, they can literally change the government on the spot. That's what that means. But people need to understand that comes from a devotion and a diligence and a discipline that comes from the Christian worldview. That's where that comes from. It comes from people that are searching the scriptures like Bereans to figure out, well, does this gospel message ring true with what I've been saying? I've never heard this before. Let's check the Bible. Well, this prophecy is the future. Are you sure about that? Let's check what the Bible says about stuff. Because when the Bible says the spirit of prophecy or the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, then we need to make sure all these prophecies that we think are prophecies are testifying about Jesus. And what did Jesus say about stuff? Jesus said, all of these things will happen to this generation. Matthew 24, verse 34. All this stuff's going to happen to this generation. I'm going to come back and I'm going to punish. That's what he's saying on, 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 in all of the discourse. Whenever Jesus tells Caiaphas, I will, you will see me seated on the clouds. He's referencing Daniel. He's referencing the Old Testament prophets that are prophesying about him. Now, Caiaphas didn't see Jesus sitting on the clouds whenever Jesus was dying on the cross. So when did Caiaphas see Jesus coming into the clouds? Because Jesus looked right at him. He looked right at Caiaphas and said, you will see me sitting on the throne, uh, on the throne of the right and seated on the clouds. You will see me. You will see me, Caiaphas. Now, is Jesus lying? Is he speaking figuratively? These are the types of things that have to be bent to the Bible because the, the all prophecy, right? The Bible says, Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The things that testify about Jesus, Jesus' testimony is the spirit of prophecy. It, it's, you know, I'm, I'm blending a lot of ideas. I'm all over the place because I'm trying to make the connection that the, do, that the church has a duty to go against bad government. The church has a duty and precedent. It's got precedent in the Bible to stand on what's true against the Philistines, against the Canaanites, against the dragons and the giants and the devils and the demons and the godless commies. We have the biblical mandate to stand on what's true against what anything looks like. That's, that's our mandate. 
That is our that is our job. That's our duty. The way we do that, the way we speak, the way we act, the way we think, all of that is supposed to look to Jesus. All of that is supposed to reflect our creator. So how did Jesus deal with corrupt people? How did Jesus deal with tyrants? How did Jesus do these things? And people would say, well, he cracked the whip. He did crack the whip, but he didn't only crack the whip. He always spoke truth. Because even whenever he was cracking the whip, whether it was at the first of his ministry or at the very end, whenever he was coming to get killed in Jerusalem, either time he did it, he spoke truth. He spoke truth and he demanded observance of what God had said. So when you go against government, however you go against government, you need that controversy. You need that collision. You need that smash. And when you smash, you stand. You stand on what's true, you demand what's written, and you know it. That means you've been devoted, that means you've been disciplined, that means you have a a standard of truth in the law that is so high, it's not going to just be flippant like these stupid non-positive laws. These non-positive laws, just whatever, they just kind of happen, you know? Oh, look at this. Here's, here's all this stuff. No one ever reads this stuff because this stuff is so granular and so detailed and intricate. It's designed to, uh, you know, get you distracted. Don't get distracted. Stand on your rights. Know the law. Folks, uh, none of this matters if you don't believe the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. Died for my sins on the cross. He was buried and three days later he rose from the grave. When he physically rose, the, rose from the grave, It proves everything that he said was true. It proves that he's the king. It proves that he's the Messiah. It proves that he's God. It's proving that all the miracles that he was doing was to get those people to believe in him. By his grace, we now have the hearing of the gospel. Is power competent enough to have us believe? If you don't believe the gospel, it's because you have rejected Jesus Christ. You have a sin in your life that you elevate above the king. You have a fear like these stupid tax laws in your life that you elevate above Jesus. That is first and foremost a denial of him rather than you just not figuring it out, which is garbage and a hoax. The Bible says that for all, for none are with excuse. There is no excuse. You know God exists. And people today have been given to their indulgence, to their ideas, their ways of believing. However, All sorts of ideas are going in to just distract from Jesus, to take away from the gospel, to take away the fact that Christ died for your sins, he was buried, and three days later he rose. That idea will break all the other ideas. And that's that's really kind of how I that's that's my method. Is my method is I'm gonna take whatever idea that I'm talking about and I'm gonna stack it with scripture and I'm gonna use use the Bible, I'm gonna use Jesus as a rock, and I'm just gonna smash whatever idea I have. And if it stands, okay, now it's going to be subjected to Jesus. And in that regard, it's in line with what the Bible teaches. It's in line with what Jesus wants. Amen. God bless. We're good to go. So if I disagree with you, let's say, on interpretation, and you say, hey, Christian liberty, okay, hey, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to press that. I'm not going to press that. Because if you're in Christ, amen. Um, I'm, I'm not going to try to force people to what to believe. Um, I will preach the gospel. And by preaching the gospel, it is my faith that Jesus will work through that, not only to save people and bring them to him, but Christ will change the way that they behave. And when you change the way that you behave because of Jesus, the world will change. 
How can the world not change if I am a new creation doing new things according to what the Bible says? It has to change. Has to. It's, it's a repudiation of the gospel if you say you believe the gospel and you don't do anything different. If you still believe the same way, if you still behave the same way, if you still do the same stuff, but you believe in Jesus, I don't believe you. Because when you are in him, you have eternal life. You recognize that though you are uh, supposed to go to hell, you are no longer ever going to go to hell. God won't even think about it because he is that good. And no matter what I do, when I come to him, repent and ask for forgiveness, he's given it to me because he's good despite me being horrible. And this, this understanding, this maturity in Christ it will impact everything. It will literally touch all the facts of all your life. And then I believe that God will put you where he wants you to be. He will give you the audience. He will give you the financial support. He will give you all the things that he wants you to have. But you have to submit it to him. You have to look to him. You have to recognize he's in charge. And that's hard. Sometimes that's really hard for me. Um, dad dying was a, was a, was a struggle, um, just because it hurt so much. I never doubted God that he was bad. Like I never doubted that God was good, but I did recognize when my dad died, I was like, this is a moment I could really harden my heart and hate God, but I'm not going to do that because God is good and I love him. And because I love him and I walk with him, God, I don't know what you're going to do with my dad's death to bless me or to um, use me for your glory. I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea what that looks like. But I believe that's what you're doing. I trust that you are going to use this really horrible time in my life for your glory somehow. Show me, help me, because I hurt. And in the process, I believe that's how God put me to the common law. That's how God put me to understanding and doing the things that I'm doing now. The devotion to uh, the, the common law and the constitution is a derivative from my devotion to God. My devotion to God, recognizing the Bible was true, is a very easy idea to transpose to the constitution. Incredibly easy. And that's why I believe this has to be the Christian's. It has to be the church because when the church has a devotion to God, a devotion to Jesus, reading the Bible, it's not hard to go from that concept, that devotion to what's written and just apply it to the, to the law, to the constitution. It's not hard at all. It means you have to unlearn a bunch of stuff. It means you have to break a bunch of ideas. It means you have to read things you've probably never read, uh, read. but the concept is very simple concept is very simple. What's the authority? This constitution? Okay, that's the law then. Well, what about all these statutes and case law? No, no, no. Those aren't the constitution. Let's just read the constitution. It's an easy concept and it's a derivative from, from, the, from the Bible. It's a derivative from, from, the, from the gospel, from Jesus. And I believe that's what God did whenever he took my dad. Dad died on February 1 and right after that, in my despair, um, I did nothing but pray and read the Bible and look to him and say, you've got this. I don't know what you're going to do, but you've got this. And now he's, he's opened up teachings and understanding. Uh, he's brought me uh, brothers and teachers um, to, to show me things. 
And now it's, we got to bring Christ's wisdom. We, the church, have to bring Christ's wisdom to the world. And by doing that, we're going to be preaching the gospel. Lord willing, we're going to be tanking and destroying idols and, and changing government and bringing righteousness and truth and justice to, to evil tyrants. And as people are getting saved and as the, the, the kingdom of heaven is growing, as the army of Christ, the body of Christ is growing, the world will be changing. It has to change or else you got a gospel that doesn't save. Because if the gospel saves you, but you don't change the world, you're not impacting the world for Jesus, then that means that God's not using you for his glory. That doesn't make sense in my mind. It doesn't make sense. Anyway, uh, there's your Friday show. <laughs> Got off to a rough start, but anyway, <laughs> we're, we're there. There's ways you can help. You got the patriotswitch.com slash Jaren link, but you also got humblewb.coffee, humblewb.coffee, air roasted coffee, perfectly roasted on a cushion of air. Never touches metal, never touches the, the hot metal drum with the East Palestinian coffee. Uh, air roasted coffee delivered right to your door. Humblewb.coffee, humblewb.coffee. The bags have Bible verses on them. Drink the coffee while you read your Bible. Amen. Portions of proceeds goes to mailing Bibles throughout the United States because we want America, I want America to look to the Bible. I want them to read the Bible. Amen. There's uh, other links in the description below. You guys are a blessing to me. You support my family, the work that I do. Um, thank you very much. I don't mean to be flippant or dismissive. It's a blessing to be able to get to do what I do. I want to just thank you very much. Um, so, thanks. Uh, anyway, appreciate your time. Lord willing, we'll be back Monday. Monday. Uh, until then, I am Jaron Jackson. I do love America. Don't quit. Go to war.